So this morning, uh, we're going to kind of, we're, we're continuing on in a series that we've been going through in March. But if you haven't been here at all, that's okay. Uh, we've been kind of just going through the story of Jesus' life over the month of March. We started by looking at his childhood and his birth and some of the stories that are recorded in Scripture. Uh, and then we, we looked at um, the temptations that Jesus faced, right? When he went out into the desert and he was tempted by the devil for 40 days and, and how we dealt with that. And we talked about some of the miracles that it talks about in Scripture that Jesus performed. And, and what was the whole reason that he did those? He did the miracles to point people towards God, right? To bring glory to God. And so that was the whole reason that he did that. And then two weeks ago, we talked about the Garden of Gethsemane. We talked about the betrayal that took place with Judas. And we looked through that story. And we kind of looked at the idea of how could Judas, who was a disciple of, of Jesus, who spent three plus years in ministry with him and sharing life with him, all of a sudden betray him and we talk through that and it kind of brings us to where we are this morning we're going to pick it up right after the garden of gethsemane after jesus has been arrested and we're going to look through his crucifixion as well as his resurrection and so this morning that's what we're looking at and so i just want to say again just it's so exciting to be here this morning celebrating easter celebrating resurrection sunday and what god has done and what jesus has done this morning, uh, we're going to talk about a few different things when it comes to Jesus' story, but uh, we're not going to get into a ton of details about some of this stuff. We're going to kind of read through multiple different passages of Scripture, and so I would encourage you this morning, if you're a note-taker, maybe take down some of the references that we go through, and then it would be good to then go back through afterwards and kind of read through some of that some more. But I hope that you'll gain a greater understanding of a timeline of the events that took place after Jesus' arrest, up through his resurrection. So we're going to start this morning in Matthew 26. So if you'd like, you can turn to Matthew 26 in your Bible. Otherwise, they'll be on the screen behind us as well. And we're going to start with verse 57. It says, Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Continuing on, it says, then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him. 
right? So Jesus has been brought into the Sanhedrin to be in front of Caiaphas, the high priest, for questioning. So these were like all of the Jewish leaders of that day. They brought him in, and basically it was like a religious court. They brought him in, and they said, this guy is claiming to be the Son of God. He's claiming to be the Messiah. That's blasphemy. He needs to be put to death. And they were even, they were telling false witnesses. They were trying to make anything up they could to try to convince Caiaphas and others that he needed to be put to death. But none of their stories were working, right? One would tell one testimony and another would tell a different testimony and it just didn't make sense. And it made me think about that moment like when I was a kid. So it's myself and I had four other siblings, right? And mom and dad are gone or busy or whatever. And we break something in the house. You know, maybe say we break a picture frame or whatever. And mom and dad come home and they're like, what happened here? And we're all like, I don't know. All five of us are like, I don't know. And they're like, okay, so what do they do? They separate us. And they're like, tell us what happened. And all five of us have a different story as far as what happened. You know, it, it, it's kind of like that where that's what these, these leaders were trying to do. They were just making up false witness and false stories against Jesus to try to do whatever they could to make him look guilty. They were, they were all trying to do that. And it wasn't working. But then finally, a couple people stood up and they said, this fellow, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Jesus remained silent until he was forced to answer, right? They said, you need to answer. Finally, he says, they, they say, well, are you inside? He says, well, you have said that I am. Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Right? So in, in responding that way, in Jesus' response to Caiaphas and the other leaders and high priests and those who were there, the Sanhedrin, they said, if you're going to say that, that's blasphemy. If you're going to say that you're the Son of God, if you're going to say that you're the Messiah, that's blasphemy. Maybe you don't know what blasphemy means. Blasphemy means it's a sin where you are assuming or claiming to have the same rights and attributes as God. Basically, they're saying, like, if you're claiming that you're God and you're not, that's blasphemy. And that's what they're saying Jesus is doing here. They're saying he's committing blasphemy in the sense that he says he's God, but they don't believe that he is Jesus, the Son of God. But the funny thing, right, is Jesus actually, as Messiah, did have the rights and attributes of God because he was fully God and fully man all at the same time. But they didn't understand that. They didn't, they didn't understand who Jesus truly was. And at the end of that passage, it says that Jesus, after they, they decided to crucify him, says that they began to spit on him. Some even began to hit him with their fists or began to slap him. They decided that he was going to be put to death. So they had to send him off to Pilate, who was the governor. Right. So they, they've gone from a religious court now to a legal court. The religious leaders decided he's committed blasphemy, he needs to be crucified. And so now they move him up the chain to a legal court, to the governor, Pilate. As soon as Judas, though, here's an interesting thing. As soon as Judas had seen that Jesus had been condemned to death, what did he do? He took the 30 pieces of silver that he had been paid to betray Jesus, 
And he brought them back to the men in the court. And he said, forgive me, I've sinned. <coughs> Excuse me. I've sinned and betrayed an innocent man. Jesus is innocent. He should not be condemned to death. Judas was so full of, of guilt and remorse and shame that scripture says that he actually went out and he hung himself. So at this point now we find Jesus in front of Pilate the governor being questioned again as to whether he was truly the Messiah or not. But listen to how this conversation goes according to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John 18. We're going to start with verse 33. Says Pilate, then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king, then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. <coughs> now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Right? So Jesus basically, in this passage, he goes, Pilate, do you actually think that I'm a king? Like, do you think that I'm the Messiah? That I'm the Son of God? Or is this just an idea that other people have told you? Is this just the word that everyone else is saying? Or do you actually believe it? And then Pilate responds, like, hey, I'm not even a Jew. Right? He's a Roman. He's like, I'm not even a Jew. It was your own people who turned you over to me. Right? I didn't, I didn't summon you to come here to the court. I'm not the one who's asking for your death. Your own people, the Jews are. But Jesus then goes on to explain how his kingdom is in another place. And how the actual reason he was even born and came into this world was to testify the truth. Was to share of who God is. Pilate then recognizes that Jesus believes he's a king. But he still finds no fault to charge him with. Every year during the Passover, as it said, it was custom to release one prisoner. Which is what they did. And so Pilate goes, okay, I don't really find him guilty, but here's the deal. I can either release Jesus, or I'll release Barabbas, a prisoner, a murderer, back into society. It's your choice. <coughs> Excuse me. And as he makes that, that, that appeal to them, the crowd goes, not Jesus. We want Barabbas. So Barabbas was released. Jesus was then taken away by Pilate, where he was then flogged, and he had a crown of thorns twisted together and placed on his head, as well as a purple robe that was placed around his tattered and broken body. 
We're going to pick the story up now in John chapter 19, starting with verse 4. So just one chapter past where we just read from. Sort of verse 4. It says, Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You have you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside of the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramis is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Right? There's a lot in that passage, and it's a long passage. So we're going to break that down a little bit. So Pilate at this point, right, he had... Jesus taken and beaten. He had him flogged. He had him, he had him whipped to the point of near death. It was brutal. Not only that, then they took a robe and they placed it around his body. Can you just imagine? You know how that feels when you've got an open wound and you put some type of a fabric on it? And then it, it kind of dries and you have to pull it off? The pain? The anguish? Could you imagine that all over your body? And deep, deep wounds. I know it sounds gruesome, but I think it's important for us to realize it was. This wasn't a pretty scene, right? And I know, like, for those of you who have seen The Passion of Christ, and it gets pretty graphic in that movie, but that's because, in reality, it was. There's nothing about Jesus' crucifixion, there's nothing about him being beaten and tortured that is beautiful, other than the fact that his love came through all of it. Right? That, that's the beauty that we find in it, the love and, and, and the grace and the mercy that came from it. But the actual process of it is, is, is disturbing almost to actually think about what happened. Then they placed the, the crown of thorns on his head. But Caesar, or not Caesar, Pilate again, excuse me, comes up and he says, but I still see no fault in this guy. Why is it that you guys want to crucify him? I don't, I don't understand it. There's nothing for me to charge him with. 
And as the crowd yelled, crucify, Pilate responds by saying, well, then you crucify him, because I, I don't have any reason to. The Jews in the crowd now went back to the law and shouted out that he should be put to death according to the Jewish law. Right? The Jewish law says, if you claim to be the Son of God or claim to be God, again, that's blasphemy, which results in death. They're saying that's, that's our law. That's the rules that we live by as Jews. And that kind of gave Pilate some fear. And so he brings Jesus back in and he asks him again. He says, Jesus, why, why won't you talk to me? Don't you realize that I'm the one who has the power to either free you or to crucify you? And I love how Jesus responds. He says, actually, not really. The only power you have is the power that's been given to you by God from above. He said, actually, it's a greater sin against those who have turned me over. Pilate was continuing to try to do whatever he could to convince the crowd to let Jesus go. And since the Jewish law didn't work, since that didn't work, they found another angle. They said, what about this one, Pilate? You're a Roman governor, which means you serve underneath Caesar, who's the king of Rome. And if this guy claims to be a king, he's in opposition to Caesar. Right? And anyone that claims to be a king is not a friend of Caesar. So if you let this guy go, you're basically letting someone go who's in opposition to our king, Caesar, our emperor. And at that point, Pilate is kind of like, all right, my hands are tied. Honestly, I, I don't know what to do. You got me with that one as a Roman governor. I have to submit myself under Caesar. And so at that point, he comes out and he brings Jesus before them, and he says, here, take him. He's yours to crucify. But Pilate, what he did, though, and he wanted the Jews to know it, he had a sign placed above Jesus' head on the cross, right? He said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The Jews didn't recognize him as the king. But Pilate said, there, there must have been enough in Pilate that believed it, or is something inside Pilate that made him go, you know what, even if the Jews don't recognize him as king, I'm going to put the king of the Jews on top of the cross. And maybe that was him justifying it as the only way that he could truly uh, say that it was okay for him to crucify Jesus was if he really did claim to be a king and in opposition to Caesar. So now we get to the point where Jesus is carrying his cross up to Golgotha, up the hill where he's going to be crucified. And he needs the help of another man, Simon, right? Because remember, Jesus has been beaten. He, he, he's beaten to a pulp, and he's trying to carry this cross. And he can't physically do it, and Simon comes and, and helps him get the cross to where it needs to go. When he gets to the top of the hill in Golgotha, he's met by two other crosses on his right and on his left with the two other prisoners that are crucified alongside him. We're now going to look at John 19 and just a little further in the chapter, verses 28 through 37, and read about what happens as Jesus is up upon the cross. It says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk, uh, a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. 
With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now it was a day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and their bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then that of the other next to him. But when, Jesus, when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so, that you also may believe. These things happen so that scripture will be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have. Right? So Jesus is, is he's on the cross now and he's going, everything has been fulfilled. All the prophecies, everything that has been foretold about me has been fulfilled. It's time for me now to finish the job. I, I need a drink. And then he says, it's finished. And he gives up his spirit. He says, God, I, I give myself up to you. He fulfilled all that had been asked. And then they go, and since next day is going to be a Sabbath, which means you're not allowed to work in that day and age, in that culture. So the Jews were like, well, we need to get these guys off of the crosses. We need to get them down before the day is over so we can move them to where they need to go into their tombs for burial and whatnot. And so to speed up the process, they go, let's break their legs. And so they did of the two prisoners next to Jesus, but when they got to Jesus, they found he had already died. He was already dead. And so they, they pierced his side with a spear, as Scripture had also foretold. But the best part is, is we know this isn't where the story ends, right? This isn't, this isn't the end where we pray and we go out and we go, you know what, our God is dead. No, it's not where the story ends. And that's what we're here to celebrate this morning. But on Friday, on Good Friday, I was listening to the Christian radio, and the lady who was like the host of the show that was on said, you know what, as a child growing up, I would go to Good Friday service, or I, I would hear about Good Friday, and she's like, it, it was always so dismal. You know, it always kind of almost scared me, and, and it just, it was intimidating. And she's like, I never liked it as a child. It actually kind of scared me. And then she said, as I grew older, I began to understand the importance of Good Friday. Right? Because without Jesus' crucifixion and death on Friday, resurrection can't happen. Right? Without one giving up their body to death, one can't be reborn. And so that is why I think it's important that we remember, yes, Jesus went upon the cross and he died and we can't overlook that. Right? Sometimes we, we see all those pictures that says, it's Good Friday, but Sunday's coming. Yes, it is. But I think it's important for us to also take a moment and remember the reality of what it took for us to get to Sunday. It took Good Friday. It took Jesus going upon the cross. So as I said this morning, we're here to celebrate the fact that Jesus did not simply go into the tomb to remain there. <coughs> Excuse me. But that three days later, he rose from the dead. 
Let's talk through some of the significant things that happened once Jesus died upon the cross. So we're going to go back to the book of Matthew now and look at uh, chapter 27 and start with verse 57. We're going to pick up the story just after Jesus has been crucified. It says, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, so the Sabbath, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he has been risen from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. Right? So Jesus, or Joseph, sorry, who had, who had become a disciple or follower of Jesus, was following his teachings and had been around his ministry and believed that Jesus truly was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. He shows up and he goes, Pilate, can I have Jesus' body, please? I, I want to give it its proper burial. I have a tomb that I'd like to place it in. And so Pilate gives over the body of Jesus to Joseph. So Joseph brings it to the tomb. He, 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 does, uh, he wraps it in, in a linen, but not the actual full um, burial that they would normally do. Places him in the tomb, covers up the opening with a stone. Right? And then the next day, what happens? The Pharisees come and they're like, Hey, Pilate, don't forget that deceiver, that liar, he said he was going to rise again in three days. And so I think we need to do whatever we can to make sure that the disciples can't, can't go in and get his body on the third day and take him away so that they can claim that he rose again from the dead. And Pilate says, okay, let's take it, secure it, do whatever you need to do, make that tomb as secure as possible. Not only that, we're going to place a guard in front of the tomb to make sure that nobody can come and try to break into the tomb or to remove the seal. The Pharisees and the chief priests were right because Jesus, earlier in the Gospels, when he found them selling things and misusing the temple, he turned over the tables and he made a large scene, right? We all know that scene where he comes in the temple and they're selling all these things and he flips over the tables and he says, that's not what this house was made for. That's not the intention of what the temple was built for, to be a... Um, place for money changers and a, and a place of sale and business for profit for your own good. And so, but Jesus, this is what it said in John 2, 19-22, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words Jesus had spoken. Right? So Jesus had already told long before his death 
that they could, he, he, they would tear down the temple and in three days he'd rebuild it. And so the leaders knew that, and so they were trying to prevent this from happening. So speaking of the temple, we're going to take a few minutes and just look at what actually happened in the temple at the time when Jesus died upon the cross. In Matthew 27, 51, as soon as Jesus had given up his spirit on the cross, this is what it says. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Right? So what, what does that mean for us? What does it mean that, that the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom? Well, if we, if we look back at the Old Testament, we look back at the Old Mosaic Covenant and how all of that worked during the time of Moses and when the Ten Commandments and, and, and throughout all of the Old Testament, God was only available to the high priests. Right? So in the temple, if you were from the tribe of Levi, you could become a high priest. And inside the temple... There was a special part in the temple called the Holy of Holies. Right? And in there, the high priest would go a few times a year to present sacrifices before God and to go before God on behalf of the Israelites and the people. But that was, that was the place where the presence of God was, within the Holy of Holies, and only available to the high priest at that time. So what's significant here is that when the, when the curtain was torn, from top to bottom and split in two, it opened up the presence of God to everybody. It opened it up where it wasn't just available to the high priests, it wasn't just available to those from the tribe of Levi, but God's presence was now available to all people. Everyone had the ability to be in God's presence. It wasn't just for the Holy of Holy or the high priests. It wasn't just even for the Jews. It was for Everyone, that God's presence became available. So now that we have Jesus' body in the tomb, and the stone's been sealed, and a guard is placed outside the entrance keeping watch, what could happen next, right? Like, what could, what could possibly happen in this story? Luke 24, starting at verse 1, that on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day he will rise again. Then they remembered his words. So Mary, Magdalene, and Mary, they, they're on their way to the tomb with the spices to, to finally prepare Jesus' body properly for his burial. Right, because they didn't embalm and those kind of things in that day and age, and so there was a number of spices and things that they would put around the body to help with the odor and all those kind of you know things that happen after life with our physical body in that sense. But they were that's they were headed to the tomb, and when they get there, they're completely surprised to see that the, the stone has been rolled away. In Matthew, it actually it records it as though there was a massive earthquake as the angel came down. 
and rolled the stone away. Then they saw the two men in, in, in shining clothes, and it actually scared them. It appeared as though they had lightning around them. And they bowed in fear before the men. But the men asked the two ladies, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Right? For he is not here, they said. For he has risen. Hallelujah. Jesus has overcome death and he left the grave. A little while later on that, that same day, after the ladies, that they, they found the tomb was empty and the, the angels met them there and they rushed back to the disciples to tell them about what they had seen, what they had witnessed. But many didn't believe. But Peter, however, ran to check it out and he found that the tomb was indeed empty. And worship team, you can come back up at this point. But carrying our sins and our sickness upon the cross, Jesus took it all upon himself so that you and I can be seen as whole and clean in God's eyes once again. Maybe today, this is the first time that you've ever heard the story of Jesus going to the cross. You've never heard about his resurrection before. Maybe this is the first time it's ever made sense to you. And maybe you still have questions. I want to encourage you. Find myself after service, and I, I'd love to talk to you and answer any questions that you may have about this or just talk in, in greater depth about some of these things. I'd love to chat with you. And maybe today you, you've heard the story of God's Son going to the cross to die for you, for your sins, for forgiveness, for redemption, for reconciliation. And you're ready to surrender your heart to Him and begin a relationship with Him today. Scripture tells us that all we simply have to do is believe, with our, believe in our heart that Jesus died and rose again and confess, profess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. Right, so this morning I want to give you that opportunity. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that may be uncomfortable for you. All I'm simply going to ask is that everyone would just simply bow their head and close their eyes. This is a moment between you and God. This isn't, this isn't something for all of us to see at this moment. This is a personal decision to say, today I would like to surrender my heart to the Lord. And if that's you this morning, I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, all I simply want you to do is quickly put your hand up in the air and put it right back down. That's all that I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. So with nobody looking around, if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you. One, two, three. Amen. You responded this morning by raising your hand or if you've ever made the decision before in your life to surrender your heart to Jesus, I want to ask that you repeat after me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to come to the earth, to die as a sacrifice for my sins, I believe that he died for me and I surrender my life to him from this day forward. In 
Jesus' name. Amen. As the worship team is going to lead us through one final song this morning, as always, we're going to open up our altars for a time of prayer. Myself and a couple of our leaders will be up here, and we would just love to pray with you for whatever it may be. Maybe you responded this morning, and you would like some prayer, or maybe you just you want to just talk a little bit about that or have some questions. Feel free to come up to myself and one of our leaders. Or it could be something totally different. We just want to open up the altars for a time of prayer as the worship team leads us to a final song, and then when we're done, we'll close together in prayer. We thank you, Lord. And what a powerful name it is. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you overcame death. In the name of Jesus, we overcome sin. In the name of Jesus, we overcome all the things that this world tries to throw at us. There's nothing that can compete against the name of Jesus. He has no rival. He has no equal. There's nothing that can stand against the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you again for this morning. Father, we thank you that we can look to your word. God, and even though 2,000-some years ago you sent your son to the earth to come to be the sacrifice to die for us, it is just as true today as the day that Jesus walked on this earth. Scripture, no matter where it may be, for no matter how old it may be, from the Old Testament, thousands of years old, it's still true today. Father, we thank you that your word is a living and active. That it's sharper than any double-edged sword. That there's nothing that can come against it. That it can split down to bone and marrow. Down to the most intimate of things. Your word penetrates. Father, I pray this morning as we go out now, God, as we, we, we celebrate and, and we think upon Easter and, and what all of this means. God, I pray that to each and every person that's here this morning, they would understand this is for them. This isn't for a chosen few. This isn't for those of us who, who come here every week. Like that, that Easter and Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection is for you. It says in Scripture that Jesus left the 99 to go after the one. Jesus wasn't concerned about the masses and the multitude and the healthy. He was concerned about the lost and the sick. Because through his death and resurrection, he can bring life. He can bring healing. He can bring restoration. He renews our heart and our mind through the working of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for safety as we're on the road, God, for family who are, who are visiting and friends and guests who are gathering together. God, we pray for safety for over the next couple days as people continue to travel and, and move about. God, I pray that as our families gather together, God, there will be a time that will bring honor and glory to you. God, as our conversations will be pleasing to you, that our fellowship and, and, and the things that we do together, God, would be honoring to you, that it would be pointing people towards you, that our family members, God, that maybe are far from you, that don't know you or that have wandered away, God, that through our interactions with them, they may see you in us. 
Father, help us to be your hands and feet. The chisel in the iron range and around the world. And when people see us, they will see you. They'll see your love. The same love that was displayed upon the cross is available today to each and every person. We thank you, Lord. Be with us now as we go out. In Jesus' name. And everybody.